Genesis chapter 1. You know, as we look around us in our world today, one of the things that we see and hear a lot about are all the problems in our world. You know, when a child dies at birth, or maybe it's a family's house burns down, or a tsunami wipes out a whole village, or an accident cripples a Christian husband and father, or a loved one gets cancer and dies a slow, painful death, or maybe it's hard times and you lose your job. You know, all kinds of things like this. And what is the response that comes from that? We often ask, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God allow things like that to happen? Why does God allow troubles and problems and heartaches and sorrows and agonies in this world? And we, we need an answer for that. You know, if you haven't been asked that question, you will. Because that is a common question that people ask. I remember a, a lady many, many years ago uh, that uh, had just lost a, I think her baby was stillborn. I mean, that's got to be one of the most dreadful agonies that a woman could go through. And she was very bitter toward God. And I don't know that she was even a Christian. But she was angry with God. I don't want anything to do with God because God took my baby. And we have to have answers for that. How do we talk to people like that? It's tough because these are realities in life and we need to know how to cope with that. Many Christians and non-Christians alike get angry and blame God when things like this happen. As a result... We need to have a biblical worldview of suffering. When we talk about a biblical worldview, we've been talking about that phrase, biblical worldview, for many weeks now. We're talking about being able to defend the truth from the Bible, to be able to go to the Bible and to be able to guide people into truth. God wants us to be able to have an answer to these problems in life. And it is a struggle. Now, as we look at this this morning, I want to uncover some facts that we need to ponder in order, in order for us to understand and develop a biblical worldview of suffering. All right, so here's some facts we need to consider. Number one fact is this. Suffering and death is expected in the evolution model. Suffering and death is expected in the evolutionary model. Now, that's important for us to understand. The evolution model requires suffering and death. Remember what their motto is? Survival of the fittest. That's, that's, what they, that's what they keep promoting all the time. We got here through the survival of the fittest. Well, that means that anybody that wasn't fit died. I mean, it's part of their strategy. It's part of their theory that strong survive, the weak die. The useful endure and the useless die out. They come, become extinct. Before a human could, in their thinking, before a human could evolve hundreds and thousands or millions or billions of years, there had to be billions of failures before the success would come to pass. Just imagine the devastation of all those billions of mothers if they had feelings like that that had evolved to that point. And I make a little bit of mock of this because I don't believe that. But even Hitler's genocide was evolution, an evolutionary attempt to promote the survival of the fittest. He said the Jews aren't fit to live. And others that didn't go with his regime weren't fit to live. And so the fittest, the strongest, were supposed to survive. 
I, and so as we think about this this morning, evolution requires the suffering and death. Evolutionists have no right then to complain. They have no right to complain. When dev- disasters, deaths, and sufferings and pains happen, the evolutionists should simply see it as part of the process of evolution. They should expect such things. Now, that's an important thing, because when you're talking to someone and they start saying, how could God allow such a thing? Ask them, do you believe that God created everything, or do you believe in evolution? I believe in evolution. Then they don't have a leg to stand on. Because if God didn't create everything, then evolution got it here their own way. Then that's natural. That's normal. That should be expected. We need to expect those kind of things out of evolution. They have no right to complain and blame God for something that their theory requires. So that's the first fact we need to consider as we look at this. Second fact is this. That is that there is no suffering and death in the creation model. There was no suffering and death in the creation model. Here in Genesis chapter 1, the verse that I want us to start out this morning is verse number 31. And it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day. And as you read through the whole chapter, you see that phrase, it was good, it was good, it was good. And he ends it up and he says, it was very good. Everything God made was very good. He did not make suffering and death. He did not, that wasn't part of the original creation. And living with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden would have been amazing. Because everything was good. There was no sin, no problems, no weeds, no struggles, no heartaches, no sorrows. All those things were non-existent. It was a wonderful time in the Garden of Eden for them. God created all things mature, fully functional, and perfect working condition. Genesis 1.25, look at that verse, just a few verses up from where we were. Verse number 25, And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. So he made the, the beasts and the cattle and the creeping things all after their kind and it was good. In Psalm 33 verse 6, Psalm 33, verse 6, we read, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. God made all these things. God made everything perfectly. He made it exactly the way that he wanted it. It came from his mouth. He spoke it into existence, and God made it all very good. And in in God's creation, there is no suffering and no death. There was no suffering and death. All the creatures that God created originally lived in harmony with man. They were all vegetarian. They all lived amongst each other, even the dinosaurs. You know, the evolutionists would try, want us to believe that the dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. No, they lived with man 6,000 years ago. And that's why we find footprints of dinosaurs and humans in some of the rocks, side by side. So, All of these things lived in harmony. They were not enemies. They were not eating each other. The animals were all vegetarian. The lions and the lambs. Remember God says that he's going to turn in the millennial period, turn it back like it was in the beginning, and the lion and the lamb will lie down together. 
The children will play with poisonous snakes and it won't hurt them any. Because all of the bad things that were, uh, that are in our world now, didn't exist in creation. God made everything perfect. It was very good. There was no suffering and death until after Adam and Eve sinned. So then the third fact I want us to see this morning is that Satan's revenge caused the suffering and death. Now I want, to, I want you to turn with me to a couple of passages here. First one is in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. It's in the middle of your Bible if you're not familiar with the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 14. And I want you to look, begin with verse number 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. This is a passage that is a dual statement. It's talking about a local situation, but it's also talking about much more than that. It's speaking of what we believe is Satan's fall from heaven. Verse number 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will, also, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. We can see here Satan's eyes. He was full of pride. He wanted to be God. He didn't want to submit to God. He wanted to be in charge. Now turn with me to a parallel passage over in the book of Ezekiel. All right, so keep going toward the end of your Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 38 Ezekiel chapter 38, or sorry, 28, 28, I led you straight. Ezekiel 28 and verse number 12. Ezekiel 28, beginning with verse number 12. We're going to read down through verse 15. Verse 12 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now again, this is a dual prophecy. He talks about the king of Tyrus, but as you read through this, you're going to see it's not just a human person. Uh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, and the sar- uh, uh, sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle. And gold of workmanship, the, the, and gold, the workmanship of the thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Wast thou upon the mountain of God? Thou, <clears throat> thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Once again, a description of Satan's fall. He was beautiful. He was a wise angel. He was probably the highest angel that God had created. And yet he said, I don't want that. I want to be God. I don't want to be second. I want to be in charge. And he rebelled against God. And as a result of his rebellion, Satan was removed from his high position in heaven. 
Now, apparently from the book of Job, Satan still had access to heaven. He was able to go there and present himself to God and talk to God and the other angels. But he was no longer one of the holy angels that was serving God. God had removed him from that position. And as a result, now catch this, this is the key. As a result, Satan, because he could not be God, plotted revenge. He plotted revenge against God. He said, if I can't be God, then I'm going to ruin everything I can that God has made. And as a result, that is when he turned to Adam and Eve. He saw Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he came to them and tempted them. God had clearly told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan came to the through the, the serpent and spoke to them and tempted Eve and Eve took of that fruit she ate it and handed it to Adam who should have been there saying no Eve don't do that he didn't say anything he kept quiet and let her take charge and led them into sin and as a result instantly that Satan had spoiled God's creation and gotten revenge on God and turned man against God And Satan also evidently knew that in doing that, not only would he turn Adam and Eve against God and stop them from being able to commune with God in fellowship with God like he wanted to and to glorify God like God created them to, but he also knew evidently that it would also ruin all of creation. And that's exactly what happened. Everything in creation went astray because of that, because of their sin, because man had disobeyed God. Remember, God had placed Adam and Eve over the having dominion over all that God had created in the world. And now they lost their sinlessness, and it corrupted their dominion over all of this stuff, and all of these things also went astray. Why God allowed all creation to go astray at the same time? I can't give you an answer for that. But that's what happened. So all the creation lost its perfection when Adam and Eve sinned. This is the sole reason that bad things happen and there is suffering and death today. Satan's rebellion, his revenge against God. That is why there's all the bad things we see. That's why there's devastating Storms. That's why there's tragedies in families. That's why there's heartaches. That's why there's sadness. That's why there's arguments and fighting. That's why there's these disagreements. That's why all the problems in our world is because of what Satan has done. And getting revenge upon God. Now, how did God respond? I mean, sometimes we, we look at it and we think, well, why didn't God just write down, bang? Put Satan in the lake of fire and be done with it and carry on with creation. I can't answer that question either. I don't know why he didn't do it immediately. But remember with God, God's not a time person. He's not involved in time. He's not worried about time. We look at it and say, well, 6,000 years, God. Why why would you wait 6,000 years to do something about this? And it's not over yet. He hasn't thrown Satan into the lake of fire yet. And you think... Why the boy, why the delay? Well, God's not worried about that time. But in the midst of that, the whole Bible is divided into what we call dispensations. Most Bible teachers believe that there are seven dispensations in the Bible. Those dispensations are periods of time where God deals with man in 
in unique ways to teach them that they cannot fix their sin problem themselves. Adam and Eve got into a sin problem, but they can't fix their sin problem. The first one is the dispensation there in, uh, called innocence. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they hadn't sinned. Everything was wonderful and perfect. They were in harmony with God. They were in communion with the Savior. It was wonderful. They didn't, they, everything was great until they sinned and innocence ended. And that plunged them into a dispensation that we often call conscience, where God told them what to do, said, do this. This is the right thing to do. Don't disobey. Well, that didn't work very good either because we find right away in Genesis chapter 4 that Cain kills his brother. He knew it wasn't right. He knew down inside it wasn't right. And when God says, Cain, where's your brother? I'm not my brother's keeper. You know, he, he knew deep down inside what he had done was wrong. But he did it anyway. Conscience isn't going to keep us out of trouble. Now, conscience can help us until we've seared our conscience. But conscience can help us go the right direction and make some right choices if you've got a clean conscience. But it's not, going to, it's not the solution to the problem. Then that brought him into a, a period called government. After when God dealt with them after the flood, you know, conscience lasted until the flood came. And you read there even in Genesis chapter six, uh, he, he says that the heart of man was so corrupt that they were only evil continually turned against God because their conscience was not right. They weren't following God. Then. During the next dispensation of government, God gave them human government and said, all right, now here's the, this will help. Each one of these dispensations, God gave them more information about himself, more information, and this still didn't solve the problem. He says, all right, now I want you to take the life of one who kills other people because that's, we're not going to put up with that. And that worked for a while, but it didn't really solve the problem either. And then we get to the time of Abraham, and God gave another dispensation we'll call promise, where God was given his uh, he said, all right, we're going to have to narrow this down. And I mean, God, I'm saying this from a human perspective. God wasn't sitting there thinking, all right, everything's going wrong here. How do I fix this? God knew from the beginning. But he said, all right, I'm going to choose Abraham and his family, and I'm going to follow them through and lead to the time when it will bring to, to my son the Messiah that will come eventually. And so they went, followed promise. But promise, God gave them all kinds of promises and said, you do this and I'll bless you. You do this and I'll bless you. Then in the neighbor, and he lies, he, tells, he does things that aren't right. I mean, there was all kinds of things. They didn't obey God. Jacob didn't obey God. They end up down in Egypt. And they spend 400 years in Egypt. And then God gave them another dispensation, the law. Now under the law, the Old Testament law, you read that Old Testament law and it's you know, and, and on the surface, it seemed very harsh. But what it was is God is saying, if you want to be perfect, here's what you have to do to be perfect. I mean, we think of the big Ten Commandments. Not a one of us here this morning has ever kept all ten of them. We can't do that. But there's but over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, part of the law. And nobody can keep all of them. What God was saying is, listen, I'll give you a, a perfect standard to go by. You do these things and you will be perfect. And everybody says, I can't, I can't. Because if you fail one time, you lost your perfection. We can't. We can't even put God first every single time in our life, all day long, all night long, every day, all through our life. We can't do that. We fail. So the law didn't solve the problem either. Then it brings us to the dispensation of grace. 
or the church age that we're in now. And now, Christ has died on the cross, paid the debt of our sin, offered us salvation through Christ, and he says, all sinners can come to me and I will give you new life and help you to do what's right if you'll put your faith and trust in me. And it solved all the problems because there wasn't any more sin after that, was there? No, it didn't solve all the problems. Why? Because people say, I don't want that. I'm not going to submit to God. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe Jesus died for me. I don't believe that stuff. Go away. I don't want to hear that. That's the thinking of a lot of people in our world today. The gospel's there. It can help them. It can offer them eternal life. I don't want that. I don't believe that. That's nonsense. That's rubbish. Leave me, leave me alone. I'll do it myself. And they still try to do it their own way. It doesn't work. The next and last dispensation is the dispensation of the millennium. God's going to put things back much like it was in the Garden of Eden, except for innocence. And God, Jesus Christ is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years with a rod of iron so that nobody can get away with doing wrong. Today, there's all kinds of corruption in our legal system. People can do wrong, and they bribe the judge, or they deceive the judge, or they lie, or they hire people that lie for them, or all kinds of things happen to deceive and to undermine and corrupt right decisions. During the millennium, there won't be any of that. Because Jesus Christ says, I know the facts. You're guilty. (laughs) You're out of here. And, I mean, he will deal with things very harshly. And as a result, everybody will behave themselves, for the most part, or die. So it's going to seem like a paradise in a lot of ways. But then at the end of the millennium, God's going to let Satan loose for a short season. And when he does, immediately, multitudes upon multitudes of people that have hated God in their heart are going to turn against God and say, finally, somebody's going to deliver us. And they side with Satan, and God's going to send them fire from heaven and wipe them off. Now, why does all this happen? God's just showing us, no matter what he does for us, even living in an absolute utopia, man can't fix his problem. And it all started by the rebellion of Satan. Satan caused great havoc. But God tells us how to overcome. He tells us how to overcome this, how to deal with this. And that's why he's given us these dispensations to help us along the way. Show us, pointing us in the direction. This will solve your problems if you'll depend on God. I don't want to depend on God. You've got to depend on God. Well, I don't want to. Well, God says you're not going to get it any other way. You've got to depend on me. And he points us all the way through that. God sent his son to provide eternal redemption for sinners. To rescue us. To give us hope of eternal life. Flip with me over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians in the New Testament there. Halfway through the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians is the one we want. Galatians chapter 4. And look with me at verses 4 and 5. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God sent his son to die for us, that he might redeem us, buy us back, and adopt us into his family. God said, I want you back 
in that close fellowship with me again, like I had with Adam and Eve. Christ paid the debt for us, made it possible, opened the door for us. God offers this redemption to every sinner who will repent. Christians can overcome Satan's rebellious plot by trusting Christ and being set free from the bondage of sin. I wish that I could say that when you get saved and trust Christ your Savior, you'll never sin again. I wish that was true, but it's not. But we are broke. The chains of sin are broken. We are not forced into sin. Unbelievers, they just... They just do what's natural to them because they don't have God helping them. We have, the chains of sin have been broken. We've been set free. If you know Christ your Savior, you can live in victory. It takes work, but you can. Romans chapter 6 and verse 18 says, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Also way over in Revelation 21 verse 7 John ends the Bible there in Revelation 21, 7, saying, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Jesus Christ offers us salvation. If we'll put our faith and trust in him, he washes us clean, breaks the bondage of sin, sets us free, enables us to be what he wants us to be, and prepares us so that we can spend eternity with him. That is a wonderful truth. And that brings us to the last fact that I want us to focus on. And that is that one day God will restore all things back to perfection. That will be a glorious day. God's going to bring everything back the way it was to beginning, in the beginning. Satan will be doomed and evil will cease. God will send the deceiver to the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 chapter that you need to be aware of in the Bible. Revelation chapter 20, the third to the end of the book. Revelation chapter 20. And we see in verse number 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The verse tells us several things. But it tells us, first of all, that the devil, the deceiver, the one that deceives us, he's going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever, to be tormented forever and ever. That is not annihilation. Annihilation means, the term annihilation, and the Seventh-day Adventists and several others believe in annihilation. Annihilation means that you throw something into fire. If you take a piece of paper and put it in the fire, poof, it's gone. All there's left is a bit of dusty ashes. And that's what they believe happens at the end. That all the bad people are going to be annihilated. God's just going to burn them up, incinerate them. They're gone. That's the end of them. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Satan will be there tormented forever and ever. Ashes don't get tormented. Beings get tormented. They're still alive, but tormented. God's going to destroy him because Satan tried to foil his creation and succeeded to the point where God had to send his son to pay the debt of man's sin to rescue us from Satan's 
evil plot that ruined everything in this world. And God's going to turn and put things back the way they were in the beginning. God is in control. You know, some people say, well, if there's really a God out there, why doesn't he do something about all these problems? He will. He will. Not in my time or your time, but in his time, he's going to put it all back the way it's supposed to be. He will deal with it. He will quash the troublemaker and quash all the trouble that goes with it. And he will destroy all those things. And he'll put it all back the way it once was. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Sadly. Not only will the devil be destroyed in the lake of fire, but all of those that he deceives will join him. It's tragic. That's why we have a big job ahead of us right now. Telling others of their need of Christ. Folks, we dare not become callous to this. People out there that do not know Jesus Christ, whether it's your loved one or it's your neighbor or somebody you've never met before, if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, they will not go to heaven. They will spend eternity in hell. And we have a job to warn them, urge them to come. They may not receive, but our job is to warn them and urge them and try to get them to come to Christ. But Revelation chapter 21, look at verse number 4. He says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. One day God's going to make things all right again. Everything is going to come back to perfection again. For all eternity, those of us who know the Lord as our Savior, we will spend an eternity with God in a place of perfection with no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, no death, no heartaches, no sadness. It will be a wonderful eternity. And all who will come to Christ can be part of that. And God has made it part of His wonderful plan to to foil what the devil has done. And to say, I paid the debt for your sins. I will rescue you. I'll break the sins bondage. I'll break this chains that the Satan has put upon you and set you free so you can be part of my eternal home in heaven, if you will. And he gives us the offer now. And he urges us to come to him. Once God restores perfection, all suffering and death and sorrow will be gone forever. Look with me over to Romans chapter 8 as we close. Romans chapter 8, I want us to just see a couple of verses here that can be a help to us at this point. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 22 and 23. Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption with the redemption of our body. As believers today, if you know Jesus is your Savior, we still groan. We still struggle. We still get sick. We still have heartaches. We still have sadness. We still go through troubles and problems and trials. But we're waiting for the day 
of our redemption. Now, it's true that if you've been saved, you've been redeemed. But you've been redeemed on the books, but you haven't been redeemed in reality yet. Christ hasn't come back and rescued you and taken you into his glory yet. When that takes place, then all this will be left behind. And we'll be in eternity with him and a paradise for all eternity. And that will be a wonderful time. And so that's what we need to focus on. And it's a wonderful truth that God gives us here. So as we look at this, let's just, let's just review what we've looked at here this morning. Suffering and death is expected in the evolutionary model. So you talk to an evolutionist and they start blaming God and getting mad at God because of all the suffering and death, just point out to them, listen, if you're an evolutionist, you've got to expect that because that's exactly what your theory predicts. Suffering and death, problems and heartaches and sorrows, that's just part of it. We've also noted here that no suffering and death was included in the first creation. God made everything perfect. We can't blame God. can't say, but it's God's fault, all these bad things. No, God didn't do it. God made everything perfect. Satan's revenge, then, number three, Satan's revenge caused the suffering and death. It is Satan revenging against God. If I can't be God, I'll destroy everything I can. And even to this day, folks, if you grasp this truth, it will change the way you look at things in life. Satan is actively working to corrupt everything you do and corrupt everything you can do because he hates God so much and he doesn't want you glorifying God in any way. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to get you to sin. He doesn't want you glorifying and honoring God. He wants your life to be a mess so that God doesn't get any glory. And that's why he keeps the unbelievers around us deceived and because he doesn't want anybody to trust Christ and he doesn't want anybody to glorify God. He hates God. It's part of his revenge against God. If I can't be God, then I'm going to destroy everything that God did. And God says, one day, Satan, you're going to be done. And Satan was, is a crushed def- enemy right now. He is still on the loose, but he is a condemned criminal. And he will be sentenced to the lake of fire one day. Forever. Separated from God. With all those who he pulls down with him. God is showing us right now <clears throat> how to overcome Satan. All through the Bible we see the dispensations unfolding until we come to the age of grace that we're in now and Christ has paid the debt of our sin and offers us eternal life if we'll put our trust in him and he'll forgive us and cleanse us and give us a home in heaven. He promises all these things and it's waiting for us in the future if we will trust him. And he promises that one day he'll restore all things to perfection. And that's what we're looking forward to. That day when Christ comes back, snatches the believers, takes them to heaven, there's going to be seven years of tribulation period, then the thousand-year millennial kingdom. After the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment. And we will be forever with the Lord in heaven. God will make everything perfect again. And we can live in that perfection for all eternity if we know Him as our Savior. If you're here today and have never truly received Christ, you're going to miss out on all that. 
But if you know the Lord is your Savior, you're going to be part of that. And so all the troubles and problems we see in our world today, we may say, well, I don't know why God has allowed these things. I know what caused them. Satan has caused them. God has chosen to allow Satan to have rule for right now. And one day he's going to deal with it. He's going to cast the devil into the lake of fire. He's going to destroy all evil. And he's going to make everything come back into perfect perfection again. And it will happen. And we can be an encouragement to people around us that ask us that question. Why would God do that? We can help them to see it's not God's fault. But God loves you. And he wants you to come to him. And he offers you an eternity with him in paradise, in perfection, if you receive him.